Since 1996, Pastor Brad Bigney has served Christ and the body of Christ here at Grace Fellowship. And his passion for seeing people grow and change is evident. All you got to do is just spend a little bit of time with him. It's interesting, after you get to know Brad, you find out that he never dreamed of a large church which we are a part of, but he dreamed of seeing God grow people deeper, not necessarily just more bodies. He was committed to exalting Christ and doing a few things really well, which we call the big rocks. We're blessed week in, week out as he has served us, and over the summer he has had uh, and we're fortunate to, be, to give him some time away to pray and to rejuvenate and to take his life before God of what God's doing. And, you know, we through the summer, we have been so uh, fed well. But there's nothing like eating uh, from the chief chef. And so uh, we are uh, fortunate to have Pastor Brad back. Now, every week we've welcomed others. And I think it's appropriate to honor our Lord to honor one of his servants here at Grace. So join me in welcoming our pastor, Brad Bigney, back. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. It is great to be back. And I hope you're glad to know that I could say that. You know, sometimes when you go on vacation, even just you, just for a few weeks away, sometimes you just dread going back. And as you get back, you realize why you dreaded going back. And you're like, I wish I wasn't back. Not the case. I've only been back a week, but I'm still happy. (laughs) It is good to be back. Really good. Uh, As Brian mentioned, I was away from you this summer. So thank you. Thank you. It was a great summer. Great summer. I listened to some of the messages, the emails I was getting from you. That's what I wanted. I didn't want it to tank while I was away. I wanted it to to be great. I tried to stack the deck and make it great with speakers and what was going on, and I sensed that God did that very thing. So thank you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you, Newport Campus, for being such an important part of what God is doing here at Grace. And I'm excited. I've been praying. For weeks now, the deacons are praying, the elders are praying. I've been involved in it even as I've been away watching and about a building of their own. A building of their own down in Newport so that they can have a presence in Newport throughout the week. Doing some counseling, doing some outreach, having a place. So we're praying, talking, don't know how it's going to turn out. But it's a Lutheran building, 117 years old. But I want you to know, Newport, I'm excited. I've been looking at pictures. I've been tracking with you. I've been praying. And tomorrow I'm going with Peter to walk through it and see it for myself. But let's see what God does. And Florence Campus, thank you for gathering for worship. It is great to be with my church family. And as I say church family, Brian did a great job talking about this, but I can't help but stick a little on my own. This counseling and discipleship training conference changed my life. Jesus changed my life with salvation. Summer of 1986, God changed my life by introducing me to the concept of the sovereignty of God over all things. And then, 19, oh, maybe 90, 91, coming into this material in South Carolina changed my life. I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing Bible stories. I knew Bible verses, but I had not seen it put together in a way and presented that the Bible actually had real answers for real problems that real people have. I would say it to you this way. This conference connects three dots that you may be a Christian and you may have been a Christian a long time, but these three dots still may not be connected in your life. Real people, real problems, and real answers from God's word. If you still kind of have a bit of a disconnect and you know Bible stories, but still when stuff happens in people's lives, including your own, you say, I don't know. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Does God's word say anything about that? It does. It does. I would love for you to join me at this conference. I'll be up to my eyeballs in it. If you join me in fundamentals, you'll get a lot of me. Either you like that or you don't. I don't know. But I'm going to be in there teaching all kinds of workshops. I'll teach a little bit in the advanced. And then I'm so excited. The third track, that's the first year we've done it, where Pastor Ken is going to take those of you that say, I actually want to get certified. Be a certified biblical counselor. Know how. It's closed. It was so full. So many people jumped in there. Now, they're trying to find another room and another space, so maybe some more can get in there. But I'm excited. But I'll tell you this. I still think there's 100 more people 
that should be there that aren't registered yet. Okay, it's just my own thought. Why? Because I've been praying for 425 and there's only 325. And I don't think I'm wrong. There's another 100 of you that God wants to be there. If you're new to our church and you've never attended the fundamentals, there's a whopping scholarship for you. So check it out. So I'd love for you to join me for this conference. All right, today is the conclusion of a series of messages our church family's been going through this summer regarding the church. And I was gone for most of it. Because our church graciously, as Brian said, gave me a summer sabbatical away. And does that for me every seven years after full-time ministry. And I'm so thankful. So thank you for allowing me and my family this time away, get refreshed, refocused, and to come back. And I have, I have. And to come back even more excited than ever to serve here with you. And so in this message today, it's the final message in this church series, but it's going to be a little different as we stick the landing. I want to talk about the church, and I want to talk about the highlights of my summer sabbatical because the two are very closely related. See, my sabbatical, the reason you give a pastor sabbatical, I hope you understand this, my sabbatical was not just a time to play, 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 play. I did play hard played real hard it was also a time to pray 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 and seek the lord and i did and oh my goodness some of the times that i had with our lord and savior so very sweet and rejuvenating and so i want to talk about both i want to connect these two things together the church and some of the highlights Of my sabbatical. You see, having a chance to slow down and a change of scenery, as well as a break from routine. Now, those of you that know me well, been here a while, you know I'm a very routine guy. I mean, just eat the same food every day, do the same thing, get up the same time, pray the same time. I like it that way. But there's something good about a break from the normal routine and a change of scenery and a slower pace. And here's some of the things God showed me. Here's some of the highlights. Number one, number one, even in a fallen, broken world, I was struck by this, even in a fallen, broken world, God has given us some amazing things to see and enjoy, hasn't he? See, if I'm not careful as a pastor, and I love being your pastor I'm a pastor here, I'm 51 now, I've had the opportunity to teach other places, so I get emails, I get phone calls. My interactions, if I'm not careful, are so much consumed with bad, broken, twisted, hard, hurtful. I want to be honest with you, I can lose perspective sometimes. I spend the bulk of my time, if I'm in a meeting, it's because it's a real big deal and it's really bad. So I don't get as much time to spend around people who are okay. I think some of you are okay. Please tell me some of you are okay. You know? My emails are all bad. I shouldn't say all. Some of you write me nice emails. Thank you. I can lose perspective. And this summer was a chance to gain some perspective. Starting, get this. I know some of you who follow me on Twitter or whatever know we went to some fun places. But get this. Seeing great things and experiencing great things started with my patio in Fort Wright, Kentucky. Oh, my goodness. Just getting up. I normally get up at 530. I slept till, gosh, 8. I know teenagers think, what? That was a big sleep in. I sleep till 8. Going out to my patio... And just sitting. I love the morning. I love the morning. I get, I get up just for the morning. To be outside while it's still still and quiet. Mowers aren't going yet. I can hear the birds. I see the flowers around our patio. And to read my Bible with a really good, a pot of really good coffee. Not bad coffee, good coffee. And to read it for an hour and a half. Or two hours. Normally I read it in my chair in the corner of the living room. And I got 30 minutes before I need to eat breakfast and read Bible to the rest of the family. And take Sarah to school and read my Bible and know I don't have to stop. I don't have to stop. An hour, hour and a half, two hours. I got nowhere to go. Oh, 
Thank you. Thank you. I read through the book of Acts. And it was so, so good. Just sitting on my patio. Of all the places we went, we went some great places. I believe I had about as much fun on my patio with the flowers and the birds. And I've got a birdhouse that I painted again, white and red. I like things nice. And I just look at that birdhouse. Like, all is well in the world. Birds, flowers, birdhouse, Bible, coffee. It couldn't get better than this. But beyond my little patio, very grateful. Vicky and I had the opportunity, and we saved for three years to do this and been looking forward to it, to bicycle through southern Italy. Yeah. I lived in Spain when I was a teenager. I don't know if you know that, for two years. Got to go to Italy, but I went to Rome, Venice, Florence, and I was a teenager. Sorry, teenagers. But I enjoyed it some, but not like as an adult. I'm like, oh, I'd love to go back. I'd love to take Vicky. I love... And so we found this company that you bike, and you bike not more than 25, 30 miles a day, and then you stay, those of you who know me well, you don't camp in some stinking tent. You stay in a four- or five-star masseria. Masseria is a word for a farm, a big farm with acres of land that's been bought by some hotel and turned into this beautiful place with a pool and good food, and all the food you're eating are vegetables they grew there. Amazing. So you bike all day, and it was along the coast. So we were biking in the heel of the boot. It's called Puglia. We biked down the heel of the boot. The last day, we were at the tip of the heel of the boot, and they actually said, you can look across, look across that body of water. I don't know if it was the Asiatic Sea or whatever, and said, that's Albania. Very cool. We're biking along the coast, seeing gorgeous stuff, staying in nice places with air conditioning and great food at night, eating fresh vegetables and pasta and making some new friends. And then the last three days, we paid a little extra to go to Rome three days and ditch the bikes and just walk. Saw the Colosseum, saw the Pantheon, saw some great stuff, which is very tied to Christianity. It was very moving. I walked on the road, you know, which shows that can make roads that would last. They just don't. I walked on the road. It was something to think that I, it was the Via Sacra, to think I walk, I'm walking on the road that Paul was walking on when he was here, right here. And so then, if you can imagine, as I'm reading the book of Acts, and when he talks about Rome and mentions something, and I was where he was, and this, this would have been an overwhelming place, because that city was something else. The Colosseum, if you don't know it, by the way, that's not just some little deal. I mean, the floor in the Colosseum had 84 trap doors with elevators. This is a pretty big deal, where animals and soldiers and scenery would pop up at different times. It was a spectacular show, even though it was very gruesome. Beyond that, stateside, we had a wonderful week in Destin, Florida with all the family together, all the kids. My kids are older now, so for seven people to get together at the same time, you don't do that at a drop of a hat. That was very special. Big deal, very special, because my kids now are 25, 22, 20, 18, 15. We spent a week together in Destin, Florida, no major fights. That was so delightful. And had a good time together. You know, you're always so pleased when you're holding your breath, like, it went well. Good. I don't think we could do one more day, but it went well. This was good. You know, uh, middle of the week, I'm thinking, maybe we should add another day next week. And then we got in the car and I said to Vicki, that was enough. That's good. It ended well. Let's go while we're having fun. Vicki and I spent a week in a little cabin outside of Gatlinburg. I don't like the heart of Gatlinburg. Very cheesy shops, etc. Outside of Gatlinburg, down Weir's Valley Road, this little cabin. And you feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere. And I read a book a day sitting on the balcony, looking at the Great Smoky Mountains while she plundered the outlet malls of Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg to the glory of God. Now, I will admit, one day I left my balcony and my coffee and my books to go down into Pigeon Forge to plunder the Under Armour outlet. And I purchased for myself all things Under Armour, T-shirts and jackets and sweatshirts and tennis shoes. That was worthy of dropping the books for one day. And finally... At the end of the sabbatical, I was invited to teach in a conference in Montana in Bozeman. And they said, if you'll come teach four days in Bozeman at our church conference, we'll pay for you guys to go four days to Glacier National Park, six hours away, and hike. Hike for four days where I saw some of the most beautiful and breathtaking things I've ever seen. I mean, like every time we rounded a corner, it's like, that's a postcard, that's a postcard, that's a postcard. This is real, and I'm here. I can't believe this. We saw a bald eagle. I know for some of you, it's like, whatever, Roger Patterson. I shared that at Elders, and he's like, yeah. 
Like, I haven't seen a bald eagle outside of a cage in a zoo. We're standing on this one crest of a hill. We're like, I don't know, 8,000 feet up. And this huge bird is getting closer and closer. Around here, it always turns out to be a vulture, sometimes a hawk. As it gets closer, it's got a white head. It's got a white tail. I'm like, that isn't a bald eagle. I saw a wolverine. I saw a wolverine. I saw a grizzly mother grizzly bear with her two cubs plowing around in some blackberry bushes. And I uh, saw tons of shaggy, shaggy mountain goats because as we got up high, that's where they were. And they were unafraid. Very cool. They would just come right over. There was a mother mountain goat and her little baby, so cute, followed us for like an hour and a half as we hiked, like right there. Like, all right, you want a snack? She was with us. Just amazing, amazing. Even in a fallen, broken world, I am struck. And I need to be struck more often that it's amazing what beauty and goodness and wonder is still here even with sin. And so it makes you think, what will the... If some of you didn't hear my heaven series years ago, then you might not understand this. Heaven isn't going to be off some ethereal place where there's just mist and it's kind of spooky and we just float with little wings. I would not be interested in that either. The Bible teaches heaven is a new heaven and a new, say it, earth. Our God who made all things well is going to come back around and like he redeemed us, he's going to redeem this earth. And we're going to experience an earth with no sin, with animals, with water, with mountains, with valleys, with flowers, all the places I haven't gotten to go and haven't gotten to see, you're going to see it all for eternity. New heaven, new earth, and it makes you think, oh my goodness, he says, I has not seen, neither has the ear heard, nor has entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those that, what? Love him. He's good And he gives us a little bit now to just remind us there's so much more, so much more. That was one of the highlights. A second highlight, and this shouldn't be a surprise to many of you if you know me well and have been here a while. Reading good books changes my life and keeps me growing instead of just getting older. Did you know there's a difference? There's nothing I can do about getting older. I hope that's not news to you. Never mind oil of Olay, never mind whatever you're into. You're getting older. Nothing you can do about it. But I'll tell you what I can do something about. I don't have to just get rigid and older and crankier. It's my choice to keep growing spiritually. And I'm telling you what, folks, I'm I'm so tired of hearing it. I'm sorry. Somebody says, Well, I'm not a reader. Get a grip. You must read. And now stuff are are on tape and CD. Listen to good books. Somehow you've got to get material into your life. Books, good books, just keep changing my life. Changing my life. Starting with this book right here. Starting with this book right here, the Bible. Oh, my goodness. I've had this particular Bible now 31 years. It's on its third binding. And what keeps happening to me? You would think after a while, wouldn't you? And I read through the Bible every year. That you'd find yourself saying, oh, well, it's Job again. I've been here before. Like, blah, blah, blah. No. I'm saying to Vicky, oh, my goodness, this is so good. I'm marking new stuff. I'm seeing stuff. It's alive. It's good. This book, unlike any other book, just keeps getting better and better and sweeter and sweeter. The psalmist talks about it being honeycomb. And changing me more and more and more and more and more. I have come back more in love with God's word than ever before. And I spent the summer reading through the book of Acts. As I read through the Bible in a year, that's where it just had me. I didn't pick that, but God knew. Whole summer turned out to be the book of Acts. And I had time that you had afforded me, thank you, to spread out maps. And I found maps of, of you know, because Book of Acts is three journeys, three missionary journeys of Paul over the, all over the world at that time. And I had a map of what the world looks like there now, and then a map of what it looked like in the Bible times. It was an overlay. Oh, such fun. With my coffee and my overlay map. And I, could, I had the time to look up and say, well, he's in, he's in Caesarea. Where's Caesarea? 
He goes back to Jerusalem. How long is that? How far is that? He says, I'm headed to Rome. How far is that? And then I think he did it all without automobiles, planes. This is usually on a ship or a burrow. It was so much fun. And I memorized a new passage of Scripture. I've been telling you, I've been memorizing large portions of Scripture since December 2011 when I kind of hit the wall and found myself saying, I don't know if I can keep doing this anymore. I'm just exhausted emotionally, physically, spiritually. And I cried out to the Lord for three days away, praying, fa- praying and fasting. And one of the things he said moved me towards it, memorizing larger portions of Scripture, and it has changed my life. I tell you, one of the biggest things it's done, given me more joy and perspective and hope. Why? Romans 15, chapter 15 says, this will give you hope. It gives you hope. It gives you hope. The newspaper does not. CNN News does not. Tons of blogs do not. Don't hear me saying stick your head in the sand and be unaware of what's going on. But if you're going to be aware of what's going on, you better also be aware of this and be taking this in or you will be depressed. Hope. So I memorized a new passage in Acts with the Apostle Paul talking. Acts chapter 20, verse 18 to 27, where he says, you know that from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, And taught you publicly and from house to house. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Repentance toward God. And faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, what ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Folks, I've come back more committed than ever to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I don't know why we're as big as we are, and I know we've lost some people, and people said, what's going on, what's wrong? I don't have answers for that. I don't know how we got this big, folks, because we declare the whole counsel of God for for 22 years, and I've been here 19 years. We've been that kind of church. We're gonna keep doing that. I'm committed to declare to you the whole counsel of God, not just try to see how big a crowd we can get, not be seeker-friendly. I don't wanna be like obnoxious, But we're not going to compromise. We're not going to tone it down. We're not going to step away from those issues that you say, oh my, you can't talk about that. We're still going to continue to stand by those who are wrestling with same-sex attraction and love them and hold on to them and say, you're no different than me. My heart is just as twisted as your heart. We live in a fallen, broken world. The reason you have these desires and you can say you had them from birth is because we're born sinners but you're no worse than I am and I'm no better than you and the hope for both of us is in Jesus Christ and there is hope for you. I gotta fight against my sins and you need to fight against yours but we're not gonna start saying it's an alternative lifestyle, they're born that way, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. We're not gonna take the Bible and do all kinds of weird things with it to say now that's not a sin. We're gonna continue to proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. Lovingly, but faithfully going to continue to teach what God says about parenting. That it's not just time out and stickers. There's discipline. There's a rod that gets mentioned a lot. And I know that's not popular today. We're going to give them grace and we're going to give them a spanking. A very gracious spanking. Because God says this. We're going to talk about church discipline. It's the most loving thing to do when a brother or sister keeps saying, I'm a believer, I'm a believer, but I'm going to keep committing adultery. Well, we're going to do church discipline for you. Not at you, because we love you. We're going to keep talking about what God's word says about your money and sacrificing the whole counsel of God's word. I have, to this point, for 19 years, not shunned. There have been Sundays I was scared, but I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word, and we're going to keep doing it. By God's grace, 
and for his glory. In the mercy of God, there were other books that God used. It's not just the Bible, but if you're not reading the Bible, start here. Don't read another book until you've gotten a regular habit of reading this one. But once you've got this, oh, turn off the TV. Stop jiggling the mouse. Stop bouncing from blog to blog to blog. And before you know it, two hours has been eaten up and it's time to go to bed. And you could have read a good book. You could have read a good book. You say, I don't know any good books. Hello, I will help you. I read 25 books in 12 weeks. They weren't all good. Someone right in the garbage. I don't have room on my shelf for anything but super duper. But I want to I wanna tell you what a handful of were that made the biggest impact on me. And maybe one of them would interest you and stir you. Starting right here. Fearless. The true story of a Navy SEAL Team 6 guy named Adam Brown. This is not a Christian book necessarily. It's just a book. I like to read other stuff. Hello, pastors can read other things than Christian books. And I listen to 103.5 Oldies. Hello, Journey, Boston. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Hello. I digress. Fearless. This is a guy that was killed in Afghanistan. And I read Lone Survivor a few years back, saw the movie. I read Unbroken. I know there's preferences. This is so much better. This is better. And here's why. It is just as well written. It is just as exciting. It gives you just as much that sense of courage. People can do hard things and give their life and sacrifice. Here's what I liked better. This guy, Adam Brown, he didn't just talk about his faith. Lone survivor guy, uh, Eric Luttrell or Mark Luttrell. I don't know where he's at, but he talks kind of his faith, God. This guy talks about Jesus Christ and the resurrection. In this book, And he was a cocaine addict. He was living in a cocaine house, a mess. He was stealing from everybody. He had felonies against him. And God saved him. And he had to get special permission to get into the Navy SEALs. You don't get in with felonies. But his brother knew somebody who knew somebody high up. And they gave him a chance. And he turned out to be an amazing soldier and Christian. And he was killed. The guy that wrote this book is not a Christian. Eric somebody. And in the back of the book, he says how impacted he was doing this research on Adam Brown because he saw the reality of Adam's genuine faith in Jesus Christ. This is great. And if you're a guy here, they say, I don't like to read. I think you'd like this. I think you'd like this. There's a lot of shooting and killing and all kinds of stuff like that. (laughs) And Jesus is in there also. All right, right there. Fearless. A praying life. This is my second time to read this book. And it was just as good as the first time. A praying life. And I know some of you just yawned and thought, oh, I've read so many books on prayer, you guys. I try to read one or two every year. This is my favorite, all-time, hands-down book on prayer ever. And and here's why. Because I want to say what some of you are thinking. Every time I read a book on prayer, I just feel guilty. They talk about Martin Luther getting up at four in the morning and praying until eight. I can't do that. Me neither. I got all kinds of books like that on my shelf on prayer. I read this and I didn't feel guilty. I was excited to pray even more. There is something different about this book, folks. He's very down to earth. He's very real. It is not guilt. It's not guilt. It's like, oh my goodness, I have the privilege of praying. And he he pushes you past all the rules. I think sometimes we think there's certain ways I have to pray and I have to learn to pray and I have to do it just this way. I'm telling you what, do it, read it. Get this book, A Praying Life. I, I was talking about this like, I don't know, three, four, five years ago, and I, I read a lot, so Vicki gets tired of me saying, oh, this is so good, you gotta read this. It's so, imagine living with me. And so she just, you know, whatever, 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 and then she read it. And she's like, oh my goodness, this is so good. And she gave it to her sister who read it, who hardly ever reads, hope she didn't listen to this. And, and she said, oh my goodness, this is so good. I have not given this to anybody who said, ah, whatever. There, Praying Life. Now, because it was so good, when I get something good, I say, I'm going to check out whatever else this person has. He's got a brand new book, A Loving Life. And I'll be honest, when I saw it, I was like, oh, loving, whatever. Not so into that. (laughs) You know, not that I don't want to be loving, but I thought, what can you say? A whole book. It's like, okay, be loving, whatever, done. Very. I mean, I'd put it on the level with a praying life. I was shocked. And then when I looked at the preface, I was like, oh, he's going to use the book of Ruth. Like, I'm so out. Now, he goes through the book of Ruth. You know what I mean? That's not Naomi, call me Mara, I'm bitter. I know the story. How in the world are you going to 
like press home a loving life. This was fantastic. I, I'm sitting in my lawn chair. And I'm saying to Vicky, oh my goodness, this is so insightful. This is so good. I was just as stirred. And some of you say, good, you need to be stirred more. To be a more loving person <laughs> as I was with to be a more praying person. Fantastic. Fantastic. A, a loving life. Ravi Zacharias. That, I hope that's a name you know. He's been, he's been a Christian apologist. And I know there's lots of them out there. This guy's one of the warmest kindest, most attainable, I can understand what he's saying, guy, for over three or four decades now, he's been speaking, defending Christianity winsomely and lovingly. He doesn't attack people. He doesn't shout people down. Amazing. And he's been doing it on secular universities and college campuses, and that's a tough crowd. This is one of his latest books, End of Reason. It's not even long. It's like 112 pages, and it is so readable. I would give this to a high school student I would give this definitely to a college student who's heading to L or UK. Excellent. And here's the deal also. He's addressing not just atheism. There's thousands of books about that. How would we? He's addressing new atheism. This whole new things with Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and others that are trying to put a, a friendly, warm, kind spin on atheism. Great, great, great book to know. What do we say? How do we respond to that? Because folks... Honesty and logic and truthfulness, if you embrace atheism, the only real question is, why shouldn't I kill myself? And the early original atheist understood that and either killed themselves, many of them did, or went insane. Nietzsche spent the, Fred Friedrich Nietzsche, right? I mean, we all heard about that in school, like he's some great guy. He spent the last 13 years of his life in bed, insane, babbling with his mother caring for him because his mind just went poof with what he actually believed and had taught. That's where atheism will lead you. There's no hope there, young people. Don't buy into this new avant-garde, new atheism. It's the same story, repackaged and redressed. Excellent. End of reason by Ravi Zacharias. And lastly, I don't know unless you're going into ministry why anyone want to read this, but I can't help but talk about it. The Contemplative Pastor by Eugene Peterson. This was my fifth time to read this book in 20 years. I'm telling you what, it was like Eugene was sitting across from me in a chair, holding my hand, exhorting me. He was a pastor of the same church for 33 years. One reason I love him. I don't know if you know, that's hard to do. Stay in the same place. Pastors just move because it gets hard. It gets uncomfortable. People start to do things you don't like and you just think, I can start all over and preach the same sermons. Huh, don't have to write new ones. Just, woo. You stay the same place a long time, that's hard on a number of levels. Oh my goodness, this was so good for the fifth time. And here's why. Because he brings me back every time to what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm a pastor, shepherd, not a CEO. Pastor, shepherd, pastor, shepherd, pastor. Eugene sat me down for the fifth time. He doesn't know I exist. I'm trying to find his address so I can write him a thank you note. But right now he doesn't know I exist. But it impacted me. Books. Books. A third highlight. Something God reminded me of while I was away. God doesn't need Brad Bigney to build his church. I was so encouraged by, by the messages here and the attendance and the giving. But he does graciously choose to use me. And give me the joy of being a channel of grace and truth here. And it's a privilege about which I've come back more excited than ever. I've spent the last 19 years of my life pouring my best energies into this church family. I was 32 when I arrived. I'm 51. When I see myself in a, in a mirror, I just think, gosh, he looks tired. He looks old. It's like, gee, ooh. But I've come back more excited than ever. And I want you to know there's nowhere else I'd rather be and nothing else I'd rather be doing than loving and leading this precious church family. Florence, Newport, wherever else God may lead us. Nothing. I didn't interview with other churches. I didn't look for other opportunities. Regardless of where you are on me, I'm back. And I'm excited to be back. And this is where I want to be. And I'm committed by God's grace 
to giving another 15 years of my life leading and loving this church family. And as I dive back into all the details, let me highlight another, another something that God pressed on my heart. I want to keep doing the hard and biblical work of shepherding and not fall into the trap, it's a trap, of just hurting God's people, which ultimately just hurts God's people. There's a difference between shepherding and herding like cats and just getting things done. I want to shepherd. God called, called me to shepherd. And so with that said, with this point right here, I want to ask for your forgiveness. While I was away, I had a little more time to slow down, take a deep breath, to examine my own heart in the presence of the Lord. So God, is there anything I'm not seeing you want me to see? And I wasn't happy with everything you showed me. Some of what was swirling around in my heart. Now here's the good news. I didn't get all kind of awkward over that I'm into pornography and I haven't said anything. There's another woman, I haven't, nope. That I'm embezzling money, nope. But it doesn't mean there wasn't sin that needed to be repented of. Some of what I saw in my heart made me really sad. There were mornings I was broken. I cried and I asked God to forgive me and help me to lead you as I should. You see, I'm a disciplined, type A, get it done kind of person. So even before I left, even before I left for sabbatical, I had never stopped doing most of the right things. But here's what God showed me. Some of the grace and some of the love was getting sucked out of it as I did it and in the way I did it. And for that, I am truly sorry. I was guilty of complaining too much. I was guilty of impatience too often. The work of shepherding and pastoring and ministry, it's just slow, slow, messy work. And always will be. I was guilty of self-pity. Too much just licking my own wounds, thinking, oh, I've been here so long. I, I did their wedding. I was there for the funeral. You know, my mind's swirling with someone who's attacking me or emailing or unhappy or doing d- difficult things, making my job hard and thinking, ah, ah, sin. I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. It doesn't matter how long I've been here, whose wedding I did, whose funeral, who, who I stood by. It doesn't matter. Self-pity is a sin. And I was guilty of anger and harshness at times. So today I want to ask you as my church family, some of you who followed me graciously and encouraged me for 19 years, will you please forgive me? Ways that I've sinned against you instead of loving you well. And by God's grace, I'm committed to doing this better to loving you and leading you the way he would. In a few minutes that are left, here's what I want to do. The second thing is I want to give you a highlight of a fresh vision that God gave me. Fresh vision that God gave me for what's going on here, of what I'm most excited about for the next 15 years. And I thought and I prayed and I sat before the Lord. I didn't, I didn't think this out in 15 minutes. I spent days writing and rewriting. And I would just be so stirred and I would scrawl things out and I'd look up other scripture. And I would just ponder it and chewed on it and prayed about it. And it's this. Here's what God's laid on my heart. And I want to make sure you understand. This is not me representing the elders and presenting a vision for our church. I've shared it with the elders. I've only been back a week. They're praying and thinking about it right now. Make sure you know, all I'm doing is sharing my heart with you. This is just your pastor and his own passion saying, look what God showed me. This is what he stirred me about. And it's this, that right here at Grace Fellowship, at Newport, at Florence, if he opens up blessings and gives us an opportunity to be in Independence or Hebron or Lexington or Louisville, I don't know what he might do. But at Grace Fellowship, wherever believers gather, 
I have a white hot passion and a renewed sense of I'm asking God to raise up people who have the courage to risk, the confidence to speak up, the heart to sacrifice. Why? Because they're committed to the truth of God's word, the mission of God's church, and the mercy of God's son, Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, that is just boiling in me. I think we're, we're, headed, we're in a day and we're headed into a day where folks, to say you're a Christian, you're gonna have to be willing to take some risks. You're gonna have to speak up. It's no longer okay to just say, well, I hope they know that I'm so kind and I filled up the paper in the, in the copy machine at work because I'm a Christian. They're not gonna make that connection, dear friend. You're gonna have to speak. And because of the mercy of God's son, Jesus Christ on our lives, the truth of God's word, the mission of God's church, the mercy of God's son, Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you this from scripture. Never mind what I think. Let me show you some of this courage and risk and mercy and compassion. Go with me to Acts chapter four. If you got your Bible or you got your app, however you wanna get there, I want you to see this because I'm gonna read a long passage and I don't want you to just sit there thinking, good grief, I can't track with all this. You can track with it better if you can see it. So bring a Bible when you come or have, have it on your phone or your iPad, whatever you choose to use. Acts chapter four, beginning in verse one. Now, as they spoke to the people, here's what happened. In Acts chapter three, Peter just healed a man that was sitting at the gate beautiful as he was on his way to the synagogue to pray at the hour of prayer. This guy was born lame from birth. He'd never walked. And he looked at them, fixed his eyes on them, and he wanted money. And Peter looked at him and said, silver and gold, I have not. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And it says his ankle bones and his leg bones fused together for the first time. So that has just happened. And it didn't make everybody happy. Chapter 4. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests and captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Folks, look at me. See that word disturbed? Nothing's changed today. Now, I don't want to offend, and I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but we're living in a day where there's a lot of hoopla more than ever for, in a while for handing out water bottles at a 10K run, for feeding the hungry, for doing acts of kindness. I am not again, acts, and sometimes we're taking a lot of criticism, not a lot, some, as a church. Why aren't we into this more? Why aren't we doing more of this? Folks, we're gonna do some of that, but it's never gonna be our main thing. And here's why. You can feed the hungry, you can hand out water bottles, you can do all kinds of acts of kindness that are similar to what lost people do and they will cheer you on, they'll give you a place at the table, they will not be disturbed. But when you speak of Jesus and the resurrection and share the gospel, look at what it says, being greatly disturbed that they taught about Jesus. We're gonna be that church Folks, we do love people. And here's what you don't understand sometimes. Behind the scenes, we're doing a lot of things. Counseling's hard work. We're holding on to marriages. We're spending hours. We're driving to somebody's house to tell a man you can't commit adultery. We're standing face to face with a man saying you don't have grounds for divorce. We're calling the other church where he attends now. You don't know some of all we're doing. We're working our little spiritual butts off. Don't say, what is Grace Fellowship doing? How do we show kindness? We're doing some things that other churches don't even address. If someone wants to get a divorce, whatever. If someone's committing adultery, what can we do? But we're handing out water bottles. As for us, we're gonna stay focused on the main thing. They were disturbed. Read through the book of Acts. You don't see the disciples handing out water bottles. Now, don't hear me saying Christians weren't kind. You read history and you'll see that the Christians stepped up in Rome when people were just tossing out live babies and leaving them on the streets. And Christians said, that can't be. And they started taking them in. But you don't see it recorded in the scriptures. You know why? It's not the main thing. You see them preaching the gospel, talking about Jesus, speaking of the resurrection. They were disturbed that they were teaching about Jesus and the resurrection. And what'd they do? Verse three, they laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. But oh, look at verse four. If you got the New King James, which is my version, you ought to circle that first word. However, 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 what a hopeful word. You know why? 
It doesn't matter how disturbed they are. It doesn't matter how much they try to shout us down. It doesn't matter how much they persecute us or push us. There will always be a however. When you speak about Jesus, there are some that are going to believe. And they need that more than they need a water bottle or a hot meal. However, many of those who heard the word, what? Believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I want you to go home today. For the sake of time, I'm going to have to stop. I want you to go home today and I want you to read the rest of the chapter. And here's what I want you to go ahead and make a note of. Ready? Write this down. I want you to look at verse 13, verse 29, and verse 31. 13, 29, 31. Because you will see this word used three times. Boldness. 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 Okay? Read it and you'll see in verse 13, 29, 31, boldness. Now I want you to make a note of this. I want you to look for boldness. I want you to look for speaking. Write this down. They spoke. Verse 20 and verse 31. You got to speak, folks. We've got to speak. We've got to speak. We've got to speak about Jesus, not just do acts of kindness. And so here's what I'm asking the Lord. And again, make sure you know right now, this is just me sharing my heart with you. If the elders say, yeah, that's something we want to kind of capture and keep talking about, then you may hear more about it in my January 2015 vision messages when we start the new year. But right now, it's just me. But just me is still going to press you for a moment. I want to draw a line in the sand today. And I want to ask you, as our worship team joins me on the stage, would you be willing, wherever you are, I don't want to freak you out. I am not talking about Westboro Baptists standing in the streets with signs screaming at homosexuals calling them fags that are going to hell. God forbid. If that's your only notion of boldness and risk, you're not getting what I'm saying. That's being an idiot. God hadn't called us to do that. Risk for you, listen to me. Don't say, well, I hope there's somebody here who will take a big risk. Risk for you may be for the first time you actually say, when a group there at work is saying, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? And they turn to you, what about you? Well, I mowed and I watched a great game. Say, I went to church, heard a great message. You're like, you're kidding me. No, I'm not. That could be all it is for you as a risk. And then maybe take it the next step. Look for an opportunity to mention Jesus to somebody or, or an answer to prayer. You talk out loud in front of unbelievers as if there's a real God and a Savior that you're related to. That, that could be a risk to you. So I'm not talking about loading up vans, going downtown Cincinnati, standing on the meeting and screaming and preaching and handing out tracts. Some of you, great. Some of you are already doing that. You're going to have to find something even more risky like parachuting down or something. I don't know. I'm just saying wherever you are, wherever you are, take the next little step. Greater risk, courage to risk, confidence to speak up, heart to sacrifice. You say, Brad, why? Because we got the truth of God's word, the mission of God's church that gives you a reason for living that's bigger than just adding a room on the house, getting the kids in the right school, upgrading your car, saving for retirement. Folks, I'm not against any of all that, but it's not big enough to live for. He's given us a purpose. If you're a believer, you've been called into the church and given a mission because of the mission of the church and the mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's shown you mercy. And we get the privilege of telling that good news to others who desperately need God's mercy and God's Son. So I want to ask you as we close... I'm going to ask you to make a decision. I'm going to ask you if you're willing to risk, whatever that looks like, if you're ready to speak up a little more and to sacrifice both your money and your time and your safety. Not yet, but I'm going to ask you to stand. Saying, I'll, I'll do that. Now, as I say that, I know there's going to be some of you that immediately say, I'm not, big guy. I'm not. I'm not ready or willing. That's okay. I love you. Here's what I want to ask you. You're still not off the hook. If you're willing to be made willing by God's spirit at work in you. Newport, Florence, 
overseas, Dostals, Marks Berries, Alvidrezes, wherever Grace Fellowship has a presence, if you're willing to risk, speak up, sacrifice, or willing to be made willing by God's Spirit at work in you, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment as the team plays. Why? Because we have the truth of God's word. We have the mission of God's church. We have the mercy of God's son on our lives. With heads bowed, nobody looking around. This is not a time to take inventory of who's doing what. This is you and the Lord. You and the Lord. And so right now, all over the room, if you're willing to risk, willing to speak up more, Jesus, resurrection, gospel, church, I want you to stand. Right where you are, just stand. And if, you're, if you say, I'm not, but I'm willing to be made willing by God's spirit at work in me, I want you to stand too. And I want you to know that what Wherever you are, whoever you are, I love you. I will love you. I will love you. This is not a litmus test for who I'm going to love, who I'm going to sit by, who I'm going to minister to, and who I'm going to leave out. High school students at Ryle, Scott, Dixie. Middle school students at Gray, Ackerman, Turkeyfoot. Construction workers, engineers, homemakers, school teachers, architects, business owners. Imagine if every one that says, I know Jesus and I go to Grace Fellowship just took a little more step towards risk, speaking up, and sacrificing. What might God do? Oh God, see our hearts, never mind our bodies standing, but see our hearts that are either saying, yes, I'm willing, or saying, oh God, I admit I'm not. I'm so not where he just talked about, but I'm willing to be made willing by your spirit. Oh God, see our hearts. Do the work that only you can do.